about the person in the face that I don't see. Uh, the brother that elevated me, inspired me, challenged me to be a better player, just to be a better man overall. I miss him. I miss him so much, like many of us do. I love him. I wish he was here with Gigi. I really do. Uh, but I think he'll be proud. And he was looking forward to this moment, so... Love you, brother. Oh, shit. This is your boy. This is your boy. This is your boy. Up early in the morning. For God's sakes, I could not sleep a fucking lick. But you know what? We going to do this this morning. I'm going to give y'all an after-school special. It's King Known Uncensored to Powell. And we're going to start off with that. We're going to do what I call a career overview of Pau Gasol. Now, Pau Gasol got his number retired last night. Well-deserved. He is a Lakers legend. He is a two-time NBA champion. And he was the completion of the second half of the Kobe Bryant Lakers dynasty story. And as Kobe said in the intro, without Powell, they don't win those championships and those, and that's facts. But here's the thing though, that bothers me about uh, what they do to use Powell to minimize what Kobe did. That's my only issue. They'll say things like Powell was a top 10 player in the NBA and or Powell was the best power forward in the league before he got with Kobe. And that wasn't true. Because back then, when Powell first got drafted, it was a a deep pool of elite power forwards when he came into the game. You have to think about it. You had Kevin Garnett, who you could argue as the best power forward. You could say Tim Duncan, who was already a two-time champion when Pau Gasol was drafted, was a high-level power forward. A lot of people say, oh, he played center. No, nigga. He was drafted and played alongside David Robinson, who was the actual center. That's why they're called the the Twin Towers. Okay, then you had Ben Baker. Then you had Sean Kemp. Even though Sean Kemp was fat Sean Kemp by then, he wasn't better than Gasol. But I'm just saying, like, you had Rasheed Wallace, who, for lack of a better term, was the best player on the Trailblazers back in the day. You had Carl Malone, who you could say was the best power forward at that time. 
Like you have to go down the line here. There's a lot of great power forwards in basketball when Pau Gasol was drafted. Not to mention, oh yeah, Dirk Nowitzki. Can't forget about Dirk either. So Pau had competition. That's probably why Powell wasn't the best player in the league or best power forward in the league because it was so many talented power forwards that he had to go through in order to establish some supremacy. And not to mention, Powell was drafted into the toughest conference. Like when he was drafted by Memphis, he was what? The third overall pick? In the 2001 draft. You know, in his first three playoff appearances, he didn't win a game. However, Powell was solid. Don't get me wrong. He was averaging, you know, he averaged 19. Then he averaged 21. Then he averaged 20 in those first three three, uh, playoff appearances. And obviously Memphis was not giving him the help that he needed because, you know, he had a solid team, but you not with dealing with the Sacramento Kings with Chris Webber, which whom I also forgot was a talented power forward. You had to deal with Sacramento Kings. You had to deal with Dallas Mavericks. You had to deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves. You had to deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. Even the Clippers had a good year. And they had Elton Brand, another great power forward. So my thing is, when was Powell the best power forward in the league before getting with the Lakers? You had to deal with who else? Portland Trailblazers and deal with the Houston Rockets. Like, that is a gauntlet that I wouldn't wish on nobody. And I completely understand why the Lakers went out and got Pau Gasol to get over the top because them acquiring Pau Gasol did put them over the top because Pau was an all-star. Wasn't a superstar, but definitely an all-star or and a star. And a great compliment to Kobe Bryant because Pau Gasol and Kobe Bryant both have high basketball IQ. And they both speak Spanish. So they can fool and throw off teams. And they use their... They use Spanish to beat other basketball teams. And, you know, I also want to say this about those Lakers teams. I'm going to be honest with y'all. The Lakers that won the championship in 2009 and 2010, they were not a super team. It was Kobe and Gasol and great role players. It's Phil doing this shit again, plugging players in that fit the triangle offense. 
You got to understand, Kobe and Powell was taking Jordan Farmar, Sasha Vujicic, Ronnie Turioff, um, Adam Morrison, um, Shannon Brown, um, Vladimir Ratmanovich to the finals. And Andrew Bynum, everybody talk about Bynum, 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 Bynum. But if you look at the numbers, his numbers in the 2009 finals, Bynum's numbers had no impact. Bynum was just there to stop Dwight, to make timely stops on Dwight Howard. The same thing that Andre Iguodala did against LeBron James in the finals. That's what he was there for, six fouls. Powell did his job in both finals. Powell Gasol did his job. Those class, the first finals that they went to, they ended up losing to the Boston Celtics in six games. And Gasol was criticized for not being tough enough to deal with the pressure of the Boston Celtics defense. However, the next season, they would use that fuel and Gasol would toughen up. And then later in the 2010 championship would stand up to the Boston Celtics and overcome, just like Dirk Nowitzki did. Because Dirk lost the 2006 finals. And he was labeled as soft. He was labeled as incapable of taking a team to a championship, winning a championship. Then once 2011 rolled around, we saw a different dirt. And the same thing happened with Powell. Kobe and Powell perfected the triangle, perfected the pick and roll and the pick and pop to the T. Their chemistry made for one of the more underrated duos in NBA history. And the fact that his jersey got retired right next to Kobe made me emotional. Like, I definitely teared up during that speech last night because we all miss him. And um, Powell was the ultimate number two guy. He was Kobe's Scottie Pippen. But in comparison to Jordan and Pippen, though, Kobe and Powell had a bond off the basketball court. They were brothers. And Kobe, I mean, and Powell is a heavy presence in Kobe Bryant's family. Stepping up and being the godfather to all of his children and an uncle figure. But yes, Pal Gasol is one of the more skilled international players that we've ever seen and is a Laker, a true Laker. Wasn't drafted there, but the years that he was there, he was very productive and very reliable and consistent.
So, shout out to Pau Gasol. You definitely deserve it. Two-time NBA champion. Definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. Hands down. And I feel like... Was he even a member of the uh, NBA 75? I don't think so. That's weird. He should have been a member of the NBA 75. Hands down. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Power is at least top 60. Come on, man. They be doing they be doing Pau Gasol greasy. I'm not gonna lie. And be low-key disrespecting him. But hopefully, like when the NBA has a hundred years, he'll definitely be picked. No doubt in my mind. Now let's move on, man, to some breaking news. I heard the NBA has officially issued John Morant with a 50-game suspension. That looks like the nail in the coffin for the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, that's what I heard. I mean, I mean, I heard it was official on Facebook, but let me double check the news, man, because you know how they, you know, ball sack sports, cock sources, you know what I'm saying? You know, the fake shit. I want to make sure that because, you know, I think that the last time that I checked, they were, um, Yeah, I knew that shit was fake. I knew it. Yeah, because I had heard about it and, and you know. And I was watching the, the Memphis Grizzlies game last night. And I knew I was right about them being unable to come up with scoring in the fourth quarter. <coughs> Excuse me. They should have really went after an all-star player. Like I said, man, if they find out that this dude snuck a gun onto the plane, John Morant's going to get 50 games right now. They're saying right now. I mean, according to the NBA's collective bargaining agreement, they say a firearm on team premises, including a team plane, is an automatic 50-game suspension. More than likely, he's going to get charged with this. He's going to get 50 games. Does he deserve 50 games? I'm 50-50 about it. Because, number one, of course you want to see a fully healthy Memphis team in the playoffs because – you know, you want everybody going to the playoffs to be completely healthy and loaded, so um, there's no excuses. But losing Jaffa for 50 games? 
it'll be devastating to Memphis. And their run is going to slowly come to an end. And that's exactly why I felt like the Grizzlies should have went after Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not saying Carl Anthony Towns would have been a savior, but that guy can score 20 points a game and take some pressure off a of Ja offensively. Because we all know Carl Anthony Towns' defense is suspect. I can completely understand that. But I had heard through allegedly NBA Central uh, reported that Ja officially got the 50. But other publications have not reported it. So I'm going to go with they're still investigating right now. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks are expected to explore the, the potential idea of trading Trey Young for the next season. I know I talked about this before, but what I'm going to say about this is if you have a cancer in the locker room that is upholding possible success for your team, you should get rid of it. And it would be a damn shame because Trey Young actually took this team to an Eastern Conference Finals. And I had thought after that, the Atlanta Hawks were going to be next up. But it turns out they've been stalling out the whole season as they've been floating around play-in territory, knowing damn well this is a championship team on paper. You know, Nate McMillan got fired as a result of this when he was unfairly fired. They ended up hiring Quinn Snyder, signing him for five fucking years. You still have to pay Nate McMillan his contract. I guess niggas just got money to just throw around, huh? Kendrick Perkins comments on Nikola Jokic. Now, I didn't hear his actual comments about Jokic, but from the streets, they're saying that Kendrick Perkins said that Jokic won those two MVPs because he was white. Well, Perk, a lot of people feel that way. But nigga, you don't go on TV and say that. I mean, even Kendrick Perkins has addressed this multiple times. Last year, I was a coon. This year, I'm a racist. Well, damn, which one is it? It's neither. I call out facts and not afraid to address the elephant in the room. I mean, using Jokic's race is kind of a flat argument. But I understand the premise that Perk is coming from. I may not agree. I mean, Charles Barkley has recently um, addressed these comments and, you know, pretty much scolded him. You know, of course, Charles Barkley, leave it to Charles Barkley to come to a defense of a white man.
Yeah. I ain't going to talk about it right now. Uh, let's see. I want the, to know the actual quote on Jokic. Let's see what happens. <clears throat> when it comes, he said, when it comes down to guys winning MVP since 1990, it's only three guys that won the MVP that wasn't top 10 in scoring. Steve Nash, Nikola Jokic, and Dirk Nowitzki. What do those guys have in common? Um, now I do admit this, the NBA wants a white hero. They want a white MVP. They want a white face. I feel like Steve Nash didn't deserve either MVP. That's just me. I feel like Dirk MVP is in question. I feel like Kobe should have got it. I know Dirk won, was number one in the West and won 67 games. I, you know, I'm not going to say that Dirk shouldn't have had a shot, but I felt like Kobe should have got his MVP that year because he was having a monster season. And I don't feel like Jokic deserved those first two MVPs, but I don't think the main reason is because he's white though i think the reason he won is because of stats because of his offensive stats because he's a great rebounder i mean the the league is in love with triple doubles i mean russ won the mvp because he broke the triple double record for a season but his team was garbage that year hot garbage but he did lead that team to the playoffs as a sixth seed. And a lot of people question Russ winning that MVP. And I just want y'all to have the same energy for Jokic. Because I don't think either year Jokic deserved MVP. Let's look at the, uh, what year was the first year he won MVP? 2021 or 2022? So, let's look at the actual stats of these players. Okay, so here's the thing. Nikola Jokic averaged 26, 11, and 8. I mean, obviously, they were going to go with him because of his statistics. If you look at Joel Embiid, he averaged 28 and a half a game, 11 rebounds, and 3 assists. But, you know... He also averaged the same amount of steals as Jokic, and he had averaged more blocks than Jokic. Wouldn't you go with a player that's more complete and well-rounded than a player who's only offensively gifted? Now, I do understand Denver was missing 
both of their best players, and they finished third in the Western Conference. And they did make it to the second round of the playoffs in 2021. That's why the pressure is on Jokic to actually get to the NBA Finals this year. Because now it's probably going to be two or three MVPs for him. So the only thing that he has to do legitimately is make the NBA Finals. There's no pressure on him to win. They're not going to put that pressure on him because you know why. Yeah, I said it. Jokic does get a little bit of white privilege. But that's not the main reason why he wins MVPs, though. They win, He wins MVPs because of stats. But I'm not going to go the perk route and say that he's stat padding, though. I don't think he's stat padding. I watched Jokic play. He's just a bad motherfucker. He's one of the three offensively the most the three most offensively talented players in the world he has a great offensive skill set but he doesn't do it for me on the defensive end if you look at Joel Embiid's team yeah they had Harden I get that Well, in 2021, he didn't have James Harden. As a matter of fact, they were first in the Eastern Conference, man. That's what killed me. Joel and B was doing this shit with sorry-ass Ben Simmons and a pack of niggas. A bunch of randos. Tyrese Maxey wasn't the Tyrese Maxey that we know right now, back then. So from a technical standpoint, his second best player was Tobias Harris. Yeah, man, I feel like uh, Joel Embiid got robbed that year, for sure. The man had the best team in the conference. The man plays offense and defense. The only thing that Jokic leads him by is assist. And that's it. Meanwhile, Joel Embiid played both sides of the ball in 2021. Now, let's look at the 2021-2022. And then, you know, they're going to say, and then also, they feel like Embiid didn't play enough games. And Jokic, you know, was healthy the whole season. They'll use that argument. And I feel like Joel Embiid played enough games for Philly to be number one and for Embiid to be the um, number one option on this number one team you got to feel the type of way if you're him. Now, the next season, Jokic won. Denver was the sixth seed, ladies and gentlemen. The sixth seed in the West. I remember it wholeheartedly. And they lost in the first round to the Golden State. 
Now, yes, Jokic averaged 27 points, 14 rebounds, and eight assists, and two steals. That's pretty good. He did play the passing lanes well that year. Still averaging under just under a block. Meanwhile, Joel Embiid averaged 31 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, four assists per game. He improved on every aspect, and he still averaged a block and a half a game. Shot it better from the three. Shot better from the free throw line. And then the Philadelphia 76ers were the what seed? And they won more games than Denver that year. They were fourth in the Eastern Conference. So I feel like, again, Embiid was robbed twice for MVP. It's not because Joker is white, despite the NBA wanting a white MVP and wanting a white hero. That's in every sport. Every In the NFL, they want a white quarterback. A black running back. A black corner and safety. A heroic white linebacker. It's just the truth. A lot of people don't like that. A lot of people don't want to tackle the race thing in sports. But the reasons... But... Jokic being white had nothing to do with him winning MVP. It was the uh, statistics and the analytics people that got him there. But if you do the eye test, Embiid is the better overall player. Jokic is just the better leader. And I think that's another part of the reason why they pick him. Then, of course, Joel Embiid's durability played a factor in the choice. Me, I just feel like Joel Embiid played enough games to qualify because, you know, I remember people getting hurt in certain seasons and still winning MVP. Now, this season, if Jokic won MVP, he actually deserves it this year. You want to know why? He has the best team and the best record in the league to go along with averaging a triple-double this season. Currently, he's averaging 24, 12, and 10. He's shooting 40% from three, shooting 63% from the field. I mean, you got to give the man credit. You know what I'm saying? He definitely deserves it this year. His team is number one. He averaging a triple-double. Not the best defensive player. I get that. But it's going to be a little bit more difficult for MB to win this year. So right now, we are, we have expectations of Joker to make the NBA Finals. Because this is going to be his third MVP. So, in conclusion, I don't think race has anything to do with him winning MVP. I think it's the stat nerds and the analytics and the geeks. Because I'm sure though uh, a real NBA, NBA player would have picked 
uh, Joel Embiid for sure. A couple of one, at least one of those years. Lakers are playing well without LeBron. Should they they be excited? I'm gonna say yes because um, Anthony Davis is putting the team on his back. He's finally playing like he got some sense. He's putting up MVP-level numbers, but he's not the MVP. If you can catch my drift on that. I mean, Anthony Davis is showing me top five player. Because Anthony Davis is playing with Malik Beasley. They're playing without D'Lo. They're playing without LeBron. He's playing with Dennis Schroeder. He's playing with Austin Reeves. He's playing with Troy Brown. And they're winning games. Gotta think about this. I mean, Anthony Davis has always carried teams to the playoffs. He's just never had playoff success without a Batman or a Robin. I mean, I'm going to be honest with y'all, though. The only team that they beat that was decent was the Warriors and the Mavericks, of course. But LeBron was there for the Mavericks win. That was the game where LeBron fucked his foot up. I mean, I would get excited because of what's going on in the Western Conference right now if I'm a Laker fan. Because currently, as it stands, the Los Angeles Lakers are ninth in the West. Because you got to think about it. Ever since Zion's been injured, the Pelicans have been slumping. The Thunder just got back Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Portland Trailblazers have been up and down all season, been defensively stagnant. The Utah Jazz kind of fell off and starting to show that lottery side. But the crazy part about this is if the Pelicans, Thunder, and the Blazers win their next game, the Lakers will fall right back to 12. So, no. I wouldn't be, I would, well, yes, I would get excited because of Davis's play, but not get excited about a lock for a playing spot when they're clearly not a lock at all. They're just a half a game ahead of the Pelicans, Thunder, and Blazers, and a full game ahead of the Utah Jazz. The problem is, though, the Lakers would have to, get, to keep winning in order to attain that spot. Not going to lie. Looking at this schedule, the Lakers' schedule isn't tough. They should be able to get that at least the 10th playing playing spot because they got the Raptors who've been horrible this year. You got the Knicks. They're probably going to lose that. Pelicans... <clears throat> that's a that's a toss-up to me because they can beat the pelicans but will they 
And is Zion going to play? They're going to beat the shit out the Rockets. I think the Mavericks are going to get revenge on them. I think the Magic are going to get beat. They're not beating Phoenix. They're not beating the Thunder. They're going to beat Chicago twice. <clears throat> I can see them beat, sweeping Chicago. I think the Lakers going to lose against the Timberwolves. They're going to beat the Rockets. I think they're going to split those two games against Utah. I think that the Clippers are going to beat the Lakers and then the Suns. So I'm going to say that this is a 500 thing that they're going to do. Now, if I were to play a game, the Lakers should get the spot, but I don't think they would get the spot. I think the Thunder is going to get the 10th seed over the Lakers. But then again, the Thunder could get the ninth spot and the Lakers could get the 10th spot. But I don't know, man. I mean, if you got Damian Lillard, you got a chance. I think Utah is a lot better than what people think. And if the Pelicans somehow get Fat Boy back, because, let me see, when is Zion Williamson returning? Because I'm trying to figure out, like, This was posted March the 1st. I mean, we we already know that he had a setback in his rehab. And he was supposed to be evaluated when they got back from the All-Star game. But we haven't heard nothing. But I feel like this. If Zion doesn't return, the Pelicans are not going to make the play. Hate to say it, but it's true. So, like I said, I, I, I see OKC making it. Into that ninth spot. And maybe it will be between the Blazers and the Lakers for that final spot. It's going to be very interesting to see because I don't know who holds the tie the tiebreaker. Let me find out who holds the uh tiebreaker. According to this right here, they split And the Blazers got the last victory. So the Blazers would own the tiebreaker against the Lakers. Very interesting information to find out. I'm definitely anticipating who's going to get those two final spots. Because what we do know is...
that the top eight are probably going to be the top eight. The Sacramento Kings, I knew they were going to move into that second spot. Memphis is probably going to slide down. They're probably still going to make the playoffs. They're not going to have any playoff success. Now, last but not least, I missed an album review. This album released on February the 23rd, and it's T, Thanks for Nothing. This is her new collaboration album. Well, technically, it's not a collaboration album. It's a solo album produced by Hitmaker. And, you know, Hitmaker has co-producers and such, but... um. It's pretty much executive produced by Hitmaker. So let's let's start off with uh, the album review here. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. You know, it's a lot of um, self-explanatory uh, titles on this album. Thanks for nothing is just pretty much a pre-song before the second track, which is fake love. I mean, Fake Love, it's just a song about toxicity, which leads into Toxic, where, you know, the music is sensual and sexual, but the topic is about how she keeps being done wrong by these men. The single, Save Your Soul, pretty solid. I think Tink is just talking about horrors of all genders. Someone on You is one of my favorite songs on here. It's just basically Tink singing over Make a Movie by Twista and Chris Brown. I think it's a pretty dope cover. Well, it's not a cover per se, but it's just a a very sexual record. I'm the Catch, again, self-explanatory. You know, Tink feels like what she has to offer makes her entitled. Let down my guard with Tink and Ty Dolla Sign. Um, it's just basically two people who are reluctant to let down their guard to be in a fully functional relationship, which leads into trust issues. This album was definitely put together well as far as sequence. Trust Issues is my least favorite song, but it's not a bad track. Stingy by Tink and Young Blue is a dope-ass collaboration. Another one of my top five favorite records on here. Definitely catchy and a bop. Gangsta's Paradise is just, um, you know, some Bonnie and Clyde shit. Tink wants to be a soft spot for a thug. That's basically what it is. Then it leads in the streets ain't for me, where Tink doesn't want to be in a world where she has to... Um, be in situationships. She would rather be in a fully functional relationship. Tongue tied. Oh my God. This is probably my favorite record. Like, the shit, the top level sexual shit that Tink is talking, 
had my mind in the days. Like the wordplay on this record is sick. Ain't gotta leave. It's yet another one of those records. Just fire. New nigga. It's just basically what it is, man, you know? Keep playing with her and she gonna pop up with a new nigga. Out of the blue. I ain't gonna get me a new man. Overall. Um, thanks for nothing. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not saying that Tink copycatted SOS. I'm not trying to say that Tink stole Scissor's idea for SOS. But I can see SOS influencing this project. You know, SOS came out December the 9th. This album came out February the 24th. And you could do an album within a month. I feel like the topics are SZA-esque. Because her whole album, SOS, is about a lot of things. Toxicity being one of them. Toxicity being one of them. And this concept had some scissor influence. For sure. And Hitmaker's production, once again, is amazing. And he's a heavy contender for producer of the year for already producing a whole album for Eric Bellinger. Now he's doing a whole album for Tink and Eric Bellinger in the same year, once again. So we got to wonder what Hitmaker, what else Hitmaker has under his lead. Hopefully this isn't the last offering. Because if it is, it may be a quick out for Hitmaker. I mean, thanks for nothing. It's got the right combination of records with great production and top-tier songwriting. All right, that's my show. This is Keynote Uncensored. To Pow, and I'm out.